0: Welcome to the Politics Guys, a place for bipartisan, rational and civil debate on American politics and policy. I'm Trey Orndorff, a political scientist at Oklahoma Christian University, and I'm joined, as always, by Ken Katkin, a professor of law at Chase Law School. Welcome back to the Politics Guys, Ken. Oh, it is great to be back, Trey. Well, we of course have gotten the best possible day to go for. <laughs> yeah. uh, we've had some really interesting stories uh, this this week. The biggest story this week is Amy Barrett, as she is the nominee picked last Saturday by President Donald Trump. But of course, Ken, as you well know, our colleagues decided to postpone their show so that they could, you know, steal this from us. Yes. Uh, but we're still, <laughs> still going to talk about it uh, because, of course, uh, starting up next week, uh, she's already been making the rounds in the Senate right now. Uh, but next week, we will actually have Judiciary Committee hearings on her. But I, I just wanted to kind of start the show getting your perspective uh, on the nominee in terms of their legal position as a, as a potential Supreme Court justice, because something tells me. That you're not going to be particularly happy with her. So, but I'm curious why. So, why don't you start us off? No,
1: yeah, I, I, you know, I'm not particularly happy with her. Um, and of course, you know, I, I'll admit straight out that um, you know my primary and dominant objection to her is not a personal one. It's that I believe that this was a stolen Supreme Court seat, um, and that uh, you know that the, the Republicans either should have given Merrick Garland a confirmation hearing. Um, in in President Obama's final uh, year in office. And that's what I really believe, um, in which case I wouldn't object so much to them moving ahead now with the um, uh, confirmation hearing for judge, judge, do you said Barrett? I, I usually thought it was Barrett, but I'll, I'll are you sure and it's I, I might've just mal- mispronounced okay. it a yeah. second okay. ago. Yeah. Uh, I wasn't sure either, but uh, I've only seen it written. Um, so, um, uh, but judge, I'm going to call her judge Barrett cause that's what I've been calling her. Um, and uh, <laughs> um, that, that, that they, uh, that, that, that they uh, I, I think that since the Republicans established a, a rule, Um, in 2016, in fact, uh, well, they established a precedent, they established a precedent, the precedent. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they called it a rule. In fact, um, uh, Lindsey Graham, uh, said that he wanted uh, the public to hold him to his words, that this was a new rule. Oh, um, I don't and
0: disagree. And that's I just meant to distinguish it, for, say, from yeah. a Senate rule or a, right. a, a, a oh, Senate right. proceduring rule. I, so I was maybe getting a little too technical yeah. there. Sorry. Go yeah. ahead. And, Go ahead.
1: and, I'll, and I'll, of course, you're right. They didn't make a formal rule. Um, but but they but they, they some of the senators did indicate that they were willing to be held to the same standard themselves, that they definitely. were definitely. Um, and Lindsey Senate. Graham has to be held Lindsay to his Graham. own
0: words. Yeah,
1: yeah. And he has to be right. And so so so, um you know, for President Trump to come out the other night and say, I'm making this nomination because I was elected to serve for four whole years, not just for three years. Well, that's exactly the opposite of what the Republican Senate um, uh, said about President Obama. So that that well, really opposite of what Trump had himself said. I mean, it, it, we had a debate,
0: um, which is, you know, one of the things that will be uh, that we're going to be talking about uh, today. But. But additionally, I mean, remember, uh, let's see, which was it the second presidential debate where he actually called out Mitch McConnell specifically and said, look, you got to do what you got to do. You got to delay, delay, delay. Right. That was uh, President Trump at the at the debates, as a matter of fact. Continue.
1: Yeah. So so I want to really say many of my objections are predicated on the objection to um, uh, uh, Judge Barrett getting um, uh, a seat that. um you know, really, this uh, this, you know, this is a seat that I think it would have been it would have been reasonable for, for the Republicans to move ahead now if they hadn't a block Judge Garrett. But I, but I really think this is a stolen seat. Now, as far as Judge Judge Barrett personally, I guess, um, you know, of course, I had to expect um, a, a, that with a, a Republican president and a Republican Senate, um, we're going to get another conservative pick. And, you know, I was no fan of Judge uh, Gorsuch and no fan of uh, uh, Judge Kavanaugh. And so, um, you know, it's not surprising that I'd be no fan of uh, uh, Judge Barrett either. But in some particulars, um, you know, I do have some very particular concerns about her. Um, She um, (coughs) excuse me, I sneezed there. Um, She she had to. uh, She has written um, somewhat extensively, uh, both about the Affordable Care Act and about uh, Roe versus Wade, uh, both in her uh, judicial opinions and in her prejudicial writings. And in fact, with respect to Roe versus Wade, she even signed on to some um, newspaper advertising and things like that, uh, calling it an abomination. And so I think there's there's more um, uh, evidence that she is a certain vote to overrule um, the, the the abortion precedents and to overrule uh, the Affordable Care Act precedents. And there is a vehicle in the court this very term to overrule the Affordable Care Act uh, in its entirety. Um, and if she's on the court in, in time for that, um, I, I think she will do that. Now, I, I think um, Gorsuch is going to vote the same way. Kavanaugh turns out to probably be the swing vote on that one. And um, I was on a conference call with uh, Professor Stephen Calabresi, who's the co founder of the Federal Society, and he actually predicted on that call that um, uh, Kavanaugh will swing with Roberts um, to save the Affordable Care Act. Um, but no, nobody's thinking that. Um, uh, um, Uh, Judge Barrett's gonna do anything other than vote to strike down the entire Affordable Care Act. So I have those kind of specific concerns. Uh, I also have some specific concerns about um, whether she's gonna be too partisan if any election disputes arise out of the 2016 election. I'm sorry, out of the the 2020 election, not 2016, Okay, okay, election. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. out of the 2020 election, and I think- It's a little late for the other (laughs) one. No, 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 I misspoke. Uh, President Trump is explicitly stating that he wants to put her on the court um, uh, for the purpose of having his back if any if any disputes arise out of the 2020 election. He seems confident, uh, without even knowing what the legal issues might be, uh, that, that purely based on the fact that he's putting her on the court, that she's gonna be uh, voting his way on any disputes that arise, um, uh, which is actually an accusation that she's corrupt, if you think about it, um, for him to make a statement like that before, uh, before we even know what the disputes might be, what the facts might be, or what the issues might be. Um, and I think he has he has uh, some good reason to to think that about her. Um, she does seem extremely partisan in the narrow partisan sense, not just in the ideological sense. Um, she is someone who did change her, her view entirely. She is someone who spoke out um, that the Republicans shouldn't um, uh, hold a confirmation hearing for Judge Garland in 2020 because it was the final year of uh, President Obama's term. And obviously, she's completely changed around on that. And that seems to me to be um, a, a, a partisan change in the narrow sense, not not in any ideological sense. She's a hundred hundred eighty degrees change her ideological position. She also, um, you know, first came to um, prominence as a Republican lawyer uh, working um, uh, on the Bush v. Gore litigation back in in two thousand. So I, I think she doesn't seem to me like someone who's going to have an open mind um, if any um, disputes arise out of the election and. Um, And I I think that um, her her willingness to change her positions uh, to advance a a, a narrow Republican partisan agenda um, are quite worrying to me. So it sounds like if I can sum you up, is is that your
0: primary concerns are on one, not her, the personal side, but rather in the fact that this you kind of view this as you were saying, a stolen seat, because uh, individuals like Graham say, look, situations reversed. We're not going to we're not going to do this no matter who's in the office. And then on the other hand, you're worried in the case that there is uh, ele- election fallout and or litigation that she ends up being uh, a biased individual at best. am, am I am I yeah. summing you up pretty well for that?
1: Yeah, I think that's a perfect summary of what I was saying. And let me let me say I wouldn't say that about every Republican. I, I actually do believe that Chief Justice Roberts um, is a person of integrity. Right now, I think he has um, uh, conservative views and he ends up voting with the conservative bloc most of the time because it's that's that's how he views things. But uh, but I think uh, Chief Justice Roberts tries his best to follow the law. Um, uh, and I, I just I don't see that in Judge Barrett. And I really don't see that in, in Justice Alito, Justice Thomas or, 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 or um, Justice Gorsuch either. I think I think they all have that partisan uh, bias where they they don't really try their best to follow the law. Um, and that's kind of how I perceive uh, Judge Barrett as well.
0: Well, can I ask you a question? Because this is something we've actually talked about a little bit on the show. We've touched on it a few times. And I've always kind of wanted to ask you directly. And that is, I mean, you, so the, the, the claim here, like the way that we know they're partisan is the way that we're voting. But of course, uh, what is sometimes called the liberal block of the co- court has also, in large part, uh, voted just as in lockstep. Uh, there, there's some interesting research uh, from court observers and political scientists that basically suggests that um, ideology is more likely a predictor. Uh, than law, reg- regardless of whether you're part of the liberal or the conservative block. So what? But, but generally, what I kind of hear as you say that is a, a particular concern for the conservative block in that that they don't switch or have a change in a way that you don't seem as concerned about on the liberal block, even though that does seem to be the, the, the variable, which is ideology. So is it really about being ideologically lock and step, or, or is it just the, the particular ideology that agree with. And therefore, you know, it's kind of ruled out by a priori.
1: Well, I think it's a really fair point that you made. But um, my, my, my answer to it would be, uh, first, I do agree that the, the liberal bloc does tend to vote lockstep in cases where there's a lot of um, uh, part, part, uh, where there's a lot of um, where partisans have strong views on issues. Um, I certainly agree with that as a factual description. But, but I think that the, the court has been involved um, in, a, in a project of kind of radical conservative activism and uh, changing uh, law as it, as it had been as it had been settled before. So, uh, so in that sense, I think um, you know that the um, if 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 I would consider it to be more partisan and more ideological uh, to be voting lockstep to uh, make changes in settled understandings than to be voting lockstep to uh, maintain settled understandings. And and I think sometimes. Um, you know, you don't always see the, the, the liberals voting in in lockstep um, in in cases where the the, the uh, prior law may support a more conservative position. For for example, um, in the in the Affordable Care Act cases um, in 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 2016, the Sebelius cases, uh, um, the uh, um, which which um, mostly sustain the Affordable Care Act. Uh, One part of the Affordable Care Act that wasn't sustained, that was actually struck down, um, was the Medicaid expansion. And and the the court ruled that um, that couldn't be forced on states that didn't want it because that was an overly aggressive use of of Congress's spending power, uh, Congress's uh, ability to impose conditions on on states in exchange for receiving federal block grants. And uh, actually, uh, Justice Breyer and uh, um, Justice Kagan um, joined the uh, Republicans on that one. You know so that that part of the holding was seven two. So I think there, where um, Chief Justice Roberts um, wrote part of that opinion that was adverse to the Obama administration, but wrote in, in a in a in, in an opinion that was consistent with um, prior Supreme Court precedent, um, the, the liberals did not actually vote lockstep on that. No, no, Justice Ginsburg and Justice Sotomayor still dissented. But you didn't see that 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 typical five four split there. So I, I think you can find more examples like that. Than counterexamples, and and I, I think it's it's telling that um, it, particularly in cases that involve elections, that involve uh, redistricting, that involve voting rights, that involve um, uh, even the outcome of elections, as in Bush v. Gore. Um, you know, I can, I don't think a single Republican justice has ever voted in any case like that for a, a position that, that that doesn't favor the um, Republican Party.
0: You know, and as you talk about that, one of the what I'm because again, I want to make sure I'm I'm hearing you rightly because in part I think the argument here is is that one of the things that separates the lockstep nature of the liberal bloc from the conservative bloc in that view is effectively how often are they uh, voting in lockstep to overturn an established precedent, and, mm-hmm. and and then you kind of and and then you move from there and. This week, honest, i am be Your words were kind of running around in my head a lot. I don't know if you know that, Ken, but I think about <laughs> the
1: things okay. that you say.
0: Because earlier in the year, we had had a conversation uh, about courts, and we were talking about uh, a case, and we were ha- having one of our minor disagreements uh, at the time about well, when and how should the court think about think about precedent, and when should it overrule? And I want to make sure I'm getting you right, but you said something to the effect of you didn't always want them to hold to precedent because you kind of wanted them to be the pushers of law towards you know more expansive view better views of kind of true uh moral state of things i, I that It wasn't exactly what you said, but in in those kinds of terms, but when i but now, and the reason I was thinking about that was. I can imagine a lot of conservatives saying, I think the same thing that you do, Ken. I don't want, cons- I don't want my con- this conservative bloc to vote for precedent. I want them to vote for a, a more expansive view of, say, life, for example. I, I, w- I want them to, to, to consider late-term abortion as not something that should be held because of precedent. And so I, for, the, for similar reasons that you're espousing... I I, want to see the court kind of expand, change and alter the the constitutional interpretation. What would you what do you what's your kind of response to that? I was very curious about that.
1: You know, I I think that's legitimate. Um, I I do think that's legitimate. I mean, I think if, if, uh, um, you know, I I think I have to agree with you that. you know decisions like Roe versus Wade are um embodying um interpretations of the Constitution that are contestable not not everybody has to agree that that's a correct interpretation of the constitution and uh and you know President Lincoln himself said um about the dred scott decision that the and and I'm supporting your point here trey that uh President Lincoln said that um you know the Supreme Court has decided the Dred Scott decision and as president, he's got to um, adhere to it and enforce the judgment. But that, as as citizens, nobody has to think that it's correctly decided, and that the, the that the the way um, the the way to um, that citizens can play a role in this is to elect presidents and senates who will put different justices on the court who will overrule that decision. So I, I think that's completely legitimate. Um, so so as as a sort of process matter. I agree with you that um, c- conservatives have every bit as much right as liberals to try to um, uh, uh, get justices put on the court who share their ideological vision of the Constitution, um, and uh, to the extent that some in- um, interpretations are contestable, to try to tr- try to seat people there who share their position. The, to the two places I might depart from that in smaller ways, though, one is that I, I think that um, not, not um, you know, not every dispute that reaches the Supreme Court is is genuinely ideological. Some of them are just narrow partisan disputes, right? So the if you do look at a case like um, uh, Bush versus Gore, which decided the two thousand election, there was really nothing about uh, conservative judicial philosophy as it had ever been articulated before that case um, that would lead you to think that uh, a conservative justice exercising conservative uh, uh, judicial philosophy, which previously had been held to, you know, be more states rights oriented. When, um, would would uh, want to
0: move to be a more national take yeah. and basically say, yeah. look, and you as a state are finished. I, I think that's yeah. fair. I'm sorry. Continue. Yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah. So that's what I'm saying. So I look at that as a corrupt decision. I, I, I think actually if if, if if conservatives believe that um, Roe versus Wade is Ill- illegitimate and they want justices who would overrule that, I have a lot more sympathy for that. Um, Than for seating a justice for the purpose of deciding an election dispute in favor of a Republican, because I think seating a justice for the purpose of deciding election dispute in favor of a Republican is 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 essentially corrupt and uh um uh and doesn't really relate to these liberal versus conservative ideological disputes uh, about the um the, the meaning of the, of the Constitution. You know, I, I
0: won't even attempt to disagree with the kind of the, your ideological take and say Bush v. Gore. I, I think that all reasonable people are going to look at that and say that was a that, you know, that was that was a purely political party calculation. I think really the only response there is to say I, I don't think that the Constitution ever envisioned a situation, and I don't think framers early on thought that the courts would ever be the location for the dispute for those kinds of issues. Because clearly, the goal was, and now again, this is, I say clearly here, so I might need to kind of back up and say, as a scholar of the presidency, I think there is significant evidence, preponderance of evidence to suggest that early, early constitutional framers thought that the House of Representatives would more often than not be the determiner between more than two candidates, because no one would have had a majority of the cases. And even once you get post the 12th Amendment, where you have teams running, right, you have a dedicated vote from each electoral college member for a president, and then a dedicated uh, electoral college vote uh, from each uh, elector to a vice president. I don't think anyone assumed that those kinds of decisions would be in the hands of courts. Uh, and, and so I think the I think what you're seeing there is being ideological. I don't think you're wrong at all. I think that's a function of we have, because of an unfortunate legacy of the way presidential elections have continued to not be modified, we now have opportunities for a branch of government to handle deciding an election dispute that it was never designed to handle. And I I think we're just seeing a crack in, in the institutional structure. And I don't think there's an easy fix for that. So while I agree with you. I think that's actually part of a systemic problem where we see the court is going to be able to settle um, you know, presidential election problems in a way that our, our institutional structure I don't think was designed to do. And, and I think in short, there is no positive Supreme Court outcome for throwing things into its jurisdiction that is not really designed to handle institutionally.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. And two two points I'd add to that. Um, you know, in eighteen seventy-six, which was the last time we had an election as contested as in two thousand um, uh, and it was actually the same states that were contested. It was Florida yep. and Oregon. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, it is indeed. Uh, yeah, yeah. No, nobody, nobody thought to have the Supreme Court decide that dispute. Although, interestingly, they they appointed Congress appointed a special commission. Mm-hmm. But they did put they put all the Supreme Court justices on that commission. But they also put a few more people on that commission. And and so even though they maybe looked towards the Supreme Court as the people that would have the stature to 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 decide the dispute, they clearly. um, By making it a congressional special congressional commission, it was clear that it was being it was a political resolution, not a um, not a legal resolution. And that 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 actually did leave some room also for some compromising, where um, I think the commission gave it to um, the the Republican Rutherford Hayes. But one of the but he actually had to compromise and and agree that he would end the military reconstruction of the South um, as part of his agreement to be awarded the uh, um, uh, the the election. So so that that kind of open political horse trading. I think that was preferable to just having the um, Supreme Court decide the case. The other thing I was going to just throw in there is that um, if if listeners want to listen to Wednesday's uh, uh, bonus show that I did with Michael Baranowski. This is um, is past Wednesday, by the way. just to raise it clear. Past Wednesday, yeah. Yeah. I also talked in that show about, um, you know, because of what you just said, I thought a a good modern response to that and one that I hope that um, will be seriously considered if the Democrats win the Senate is to um, strip the Supreme Court of its appellate jurisdiction to get involved in uh, deciding any kind of electoral disputes, voting rights disputes or districting disputes. And and that is something that Congress has the power to do under the Constitution.
0: Yeah. And, and, you know, it's funny because that's that's an area that we would agree, even though I think we kind of both uh, agree on the candidate. You know, one one last thing I'd like to just kick for maybe just a second, because I know we've probably gone a little bit long. Um, But is do you think If uh, Barrett is confirmed, I get the feeling that her being confirmed in time helps Biden and that her not being
1: confirmed helps Trump. What do you think about that? Just briefly. I agree with that. Um, but I think you might see the reverse effect in the Senate elections. Um, so I think, yeah, I think, I think, um, it's it it you know i i think probably in colorado Gardner's already dead dead on arrival so maybe maybe nothing could have an effect there but i think in maine um you know collins is behind now but i think if um i, th- I think if barrett gets confirmed before the election that's the nail in collins's coffin i i think that costs her there's no there's no way she can vote that will not cost her her seat um, uh, on that confirmation if that happens before the election. I think that's why she she went out ahead of time saying she doesn't think that the confirmation should take place until <laughs> after the election. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. So, um, I, and I think that may affect some other, Arizona. I mean, I think in, in a few states where there's close Senate races, um, it redounds more to the benefit um, of, uh, uh, um, well, of Democratic senators, I guess. Um, But I think I think in the presidential race, yeah, maybe maybe in both, maybe in both. It helps the Democrats more than the Republicans.
0: Okay, I I was just I I was wondering what you would uh, think about that. Well, another big item that we're going to need to uh, to tackle and and they're kind of linked, but we want to start with, of course, the presidential. Well, can we call it a debate, Ken? I'm just curious. (laughs) is, is, Is that
1: allowable? I mean. (laughs) <laughs> that was one of the most appalling things I've I've ever uh, had to watch on on television that involved the government of the United States.
0: I'm going to let listeners in on a secret. So, uh I- in the evening, I have a number of different um I have I have a, a number of different friends that I get together with and we actually play video, we're dads and moms who play video games at night, right? We put the kids to bed and we watch So it was going to be during my video game time. <laughs> so I actually I watched it on my phone as we were playing games. So we were going, I, I'm doing both things at the same time. And it was a good thing that I did because I think that it, had I not, that I, I'm not sure I could have made it through without some, like, you know, someone to be complaining to and or um, shooting. Because we probably play for some of the times we play first and shoot. Like it was, it was, it was therapeutic to like throw a grenade into a room <laughs> while you're simultaneously watching the debate. Uh, so I'd like to start with, you know, the 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 problem I think that this show sometimes is is always trying to fix is this idea that the one of the problems with media is the idea of course narrative. And so I don't want to have a conversation about who won or lost, no matter how positive or negative it is. I'd rather like to ask you this question, Ken, and and that is, think anything actually meaningful was learned or could have been learned uh, on what actually
1: happened? And w- start there. What do you think? Yeah, I'd say yes to both questions, actually. Um, first, I'll go with the could have. There were a lot of missed opportunities there because some of uh, Chris Wallace's questions um, were good questions. And, you know, not not that they were really answered, but, um, you know, certainly if, if the candidates would have responded in a more normal way, and answered the questions, um, I think we could have gotten uh, a lot more illumination about some substantive issues. Um, uh, In terms of what was learned, yeah, I I think that um, uh, largely my take on this would be that Trump revealed a couple of things um, that probably people like me suspected before, but I think they became clear to a lot more viewers. Um, One is that he's really temperamentally um, unqualified to be president. And I think, um, you know, maybe none of his supporters probably took that message, but a lot of undecided voters and a lot of suburban women apparently uh, did take that message um, that that he really revealed his temperamental um, unqualification to be president. Um, And I think the the other thing that was revealed, um, and I would say by Trump's behavior, um, is that he knows that he's not going to get as many votes as Biden. And so I think he came out with a, a strategy there where he wasn't really even running against Biden or debating against Biden, he's, he's using the debate to run against the um, American democracy itself, to run against the electoral process, to run against the, the process of um, uh, doing things like having presidential debates, to just to try to delegitimize as much as possible about um, every component of how we run our, our election system and our democracy so that when he loses, he can uh, claim that something illegitimate happened.
0: Well, Ken, I I, I actually I wish I could disagree with you on the um, Trump just just throwing a hand grenade into the process. And this is one of the reasons I just simply can't support Trump. Now, I, I don't think that Biden did a particularly amazing job, but I'm not really sure what anybody expects a candidate to do. I saw a lot of people on the left, I think, more frustrated with Biden than Trump. In some way, they kind of thought that he was going to come in, and they think, had they only you know nominated somebody else, that it would have been easier. I'm just not sure, you know if, if someone's just going to is going to start the, the the tenor of a debate, which is what you got in the first 30 minutes, with just being shouted over, I, I don't know what you really do with that. And I don't, I don't think you can honestly have a meaningful debate. Now, like you were saying, I think you might be able to learn some things as a result of that, but you're not learning kind of the substantive things. And one of the moments when I was really kind of frustrated, I thought one of uh, Wallace's really difficult questions for Biden that he never even had a chance to kind of get to because we got we it, it descended into a um, you know you don't support law and order you're just yelling. Uh, was asking him to talk a little bit about Black Lives Matter, in that I am very much on board with the, I think, the generalized popular sentiment of Black Lives Matter. But I will say that I'm not as comfortable with all of the institutionalized positions of Black Lives Matter. And I don't think that Biden is either. Uh, and, And I think that's a difficult question. I think that's something how do how do you distinguish yourself i was honestly i wanted to know what biden's response to that question was uh, and instead we just get a, a a shouting match over well you you don't support law and order
1: and i'll say the other yeah, thing I mean, that, oh, yeah
0: no, no, no. start there yeah, oh, yeah.
1: I, I was going to agree with you i mean i, I think i was i was going to agree with you and say um, green new deal also there there's a couple of yes. issues where, where, where Biden is running to the center and uh, most of his party is to the left of him. And so um, it would have been difficult for him um, to, to answer those kind of questions. But Trump yelled over him the whole time and, he, and bailed him out, really. Yes, he did. Because, again, I, mean,
0: I think that those are the moments where if, if you're trying to actually win votes, which is what you're saying Trump is not trying to do, and I agree with you, if you're trying to win votes, you would want to make Biden... Have to answer that as long as Wallace is going to focus on it because mm-hmm. you're appealing to people like me. That's what you're trying to do. You're trying to convince some voters who are deeply unsympathetic to trump who 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 have come out for Biden to have to kind of well, where are you going to stand on that right you know and he doesn't get that. and I think it lends to your interpretation that this is nothing more this was nothing more than a tweet war. That 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 was televised constantly. (laughs) That 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 was kind of my take from it. So on the Green New Deal and on those items, we don't get those kinds of uh, those kinds of outcomes. What did you think about Wallace? I'm curious about that because there has been just a wide range of opinion. Did did he do well? Did he do poorly? And, And and what can a moderated moderator be expected to do under the the rule circumstances? What do you think about that, Ken?
1: Yeah I I have I have sympathy for him. Um I, I think he wrote uh, good questions and if if they would have um answered his questions without interrupting each other it would have been a good debate. Um I think he um you know had to follow the rules that had been laid down and those rules included that he couldn't turn off anybody's mic or anything like that. Um and as he explained himself in, you know, he gave an interview to the New York Times the next day and he gave one on, on Fox News the, 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 the following day. Um, you know, it took him really a while. Um, uh, maybe, maybe he was a little slow on the draw here to pick this up, but it, it took him about 15, 20 minutes to really realize that Trump had a planned coordinated strategy of yelling over Biden continuously. And he, he did start trying to push back on Trump after that. Um, but by then the tenor had kind of been set I mean, I'm, I'm sure I couldn't have done any better. I, I don't know if there's um, uh, uh, maybe there's some commentators um, who, who or some moderators who could have been a little bit tougher. Um, but I don't I don't really share the uh, um, I feel like it was such an impossible situation. I don't I don't share the um, widespread uh, criticism, at least uh, to the same degree that it seems to be getting it.
0: Well, you know, from the right, he he gets the charge that he's effectively taking Biden's side and therefore he is one of the people debating with Trump. Uh, and then I think from the, the left, he gets criticized deeply that, you know, he didn't keep Trump under control in a meaningful way and allowed the two sides to be equivocant. So it seems like you, you too push both of those views to the side, as do I.
1: Yeah, I don't know what he could have done. I mean, if someone wants to tell me how you control Trump, then maybe we could criticize uh, <laughs> Chris Wallace for not doing it. But I, I, don't, I don't know how to do it. I don't know if anyone knows how to do it.
0: Well, so now here's the, the next, Well, and this kind of leads into two things, and we can, we can maybe talk about both of them. And that is, do you think, one of the things we talk about in uh, politics is to the extent to which precedents, not just in the legal system, uh, set really important institutionalized boundaries for how things work. So for example, when we talk and think about, well, how does Congress function, for example, or how does more specifically the Senate inside of Congress function? You can't just look to the Constitution, but you have to do what scholars suggest, which is you have to look to the precedent set in the first sets of Congress where they kind of fill in the details. So for example, what does advice and consent mean? Well, you you get a negotiation uh, between uh, President Washington and, and the first Congress. And so when I look at any particular event in history or when I'm trying to think about what's happening in this moment and making predictions about the future, I'm always thinking about the institutional trajectory. What are the precedents being set right now uh, and and how much of that will move forward? And so this question for you, Ken, is if we have two more, and I, I don't think it's unlikely that the two more will at least in some ways be similar to what we saw in number one, do you think that that precedent is... How much of Trump do you think will become a precedent institutionalized as we move forward into future presidential post-Trump world debates?
1: I don't. I don't think much. I, I, it's impossible for me to imagine that we get another president who's character characterologically like Trump um, anytime soon. Uh, I don't, and I know that the the Trumpist um, movement is probably dominant within the Republican Party now. But if if Trump gets defeated this election. Um, I, I don't see anyone on the horizon who could be the Republican nominee in 2024, uh, who would, who would act like that in a debate. I, I mean, you, you know, the Republican field better than I do, but what, what do you think about that? Well, what I kind of worry about is, is one of the things that I had looked at, and there's
0: actually some research on, and that was, there's a change in language over time. Now I want to be careful about this, right? I have libertarian sympathies. Uh, I'm probably more of a libertarian, uh, so I don't want to suggest that I want anybody to not be able to curse. Okay, so this that, right? This is, you know, I'm not trying to oppose this. But when you take a look at, say, the social media accounts and the uh, interaction between uh, reporters and between um, can- both candidates and members of Congress and presidents, presidential candidates, There was a barrier that gets broken in in, into the run-up of 2016, where it's okay to kind of have that language, and I think a lot of people thought, well, that won't be the case. But of course, now we are not surprised at all when Congresspersons or uh, of any stripe uh, uh, reach out and curse at um, you know other members and or particular things to the point of which, right? We even had a confrontation among um, you know House members. uh, I guess, at the end of the summer. So I guess for me, I I don't think I'm quite as optimistic as you. I think sometimes once you have these precedents, even if they aren't identical, I think both sides end up finding new normals. And so I kind of worry about, I don't think it'll look like exactly as we see Trump. So I, I, I don't want to make that sound dire. But at the same time, I can't imagine that the new normal will settle all the way back down. Uh, especially if that is what has been seen as making you uh strong I, what what do you think about that kind of it's a little bit different oh, than your view
1: yeah no i i I understand that take maybe I'm a little more optimistic than you. you could be right, but i i think see I don't think trump is um actually um being effective in the goal of of winning. Votes by acting this way, right? So I, I, you know, maybe he is being effective in his goal of delegitimizing our democracy. But I, I, I think in the future, um, the 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 more the the more immediate goal for most candidates going into something like a debate is actually going to be to try to win votes from undecided voters. And I I just don't see how behaving like that really can do that. So I I don't, I don't see um, the incentive uh, um, uh, if if normal incentives are in place for for uh, anybody to act that way.
0: In other words, the outcome isn't positive enough to to reinforce the behavior. Yeah. So here, so you know, the other thing that kind of stuck with me is if we rewind the tape four years ago, they take us back to 2016, and do you remember the SNL skit where Trump is debating Hillary after the first debate, and it was kind of universally considered that Hillary had beat Trump, and in that SNL skit. She, uh, I, who played Hillary in the SNL skit? Can you remember that?
1: Yeah, I, I, it was, uh, you know, she, yeah, I can't remember her name. I can't remember her name, she, but life she me. was part of, yeah, um, she was part of the regular cast. I know she had been a recent graduate of Columbia University. I remember that part yeah. of that, who she was, but I don't, I don't, I, you know, I'm, I'm, and I think she's still on uh, uh, Saturday she night Live. She is, four years yeah. Yeah. All right, Let me look up, let me look up. Look I, that I up. So, up so As you looking yeah. that up, she has this
0: beautiful moment where she basically, the, the, uh, the moderator turns to her and she basically says, I would like to give my time back to Trump, right? <laughs> and at the end, she's like, I, this couldn't have gone any better for me. And I think that was the feeling for many people was the idea, this, this debate is nuts. This you know, Just let the guy talk and do his craziness, say his crazy things, let him yell. Uh, and that's obviously going to be a win.
1: Hillary it's, it's loses. Like Kate, Kate McKinnon, by the way, that's who it Yes, was. McKinnon. Uh-huh. Okay,
0: thank you. Uh So McKinnon playing here, Hillary, but so, but here we are again, four years later, and I can't help but having the nagging feeling that you you were saying, I don't think this is actually changing things in a positive way, but might it be, did we just miss this before? Because again, that was the tenor four years ago. And it seems like almost the same suggestion out. Well, it can't happen like that again. I'm going to win it because this is just too crazy. What do you think about that?
1: You're saying because Trump actually acted like that when he debated Hillary Clinton and then he did win the election. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, I I think that that encouraged him for sure. Um, but uh, and that's why he is, you know, doubling down and on acting like that, but even more so this time. But I I do believe it isn't going to work this time. Now, if, if it actually works, if it gets Trump uh, reelected, then, um, you know, I'm going to rescind my prediction. But I uh, <laughs> but, I, but I, I I'm taking into I'm taking into account my prediction that it isn't going to work <laughs> and that, you know, that the, the candidate in 2024. Is probably going to be somebody more conventional. I don't. I don't really know that, and I. I don't have an idea of who the Republican candidate would be in 2024. But if we think of all the other candidates um, that were in it in 2016 uh, in the primary against Trump, you know, only only Chris Christie even had any tendencies in that kind of direction. Um, Temperamentally or characterologically, and I think pretty much all the other candidates, you know, would have tried to be more uh, uh, polite and well mannered. And uh, you know, I don't know. I don't know who's in the pool. Who do you think is in the pool for twenty twenty four? That's probably going to the answer to your question. Probably depends a little bit on that. <laughs> I mean, I guess of course,
0: you know, if I really want to be the political scientist, a lot of it depends on who wins, uh, of, because because of, you know, Mike Pence is going to be a clear front runner if uh, Trump wins for twenty twenty four. Assuming that he doesn't win, then historically, Pence is obviously still potentially a runner. But I don't think that that has not generally been a uh, a success story Uh, (laughs) uh, in in that and then that serve. I I think one of the ones in there is um, Haley. Yeah, well, she's not going
1: to act like that. And by the way, Pence is not going to act like that. When we watch the vice presidential debate this week, he's not going to act anything like Trump was no, acting. No, Well, so now here's
0: the last thing. that, And this is just kind of some context for listeners. And I know if you're listening to the politics, guys, you are a, you know, a politics junkie in some way. But remember that empirically, <laughs> debates and those kinds of campaign activities do not change outcomes in meaningful ways. And you don't have to look any further than if you take a look at host, you know, who thinks who is winning before and after for the viewers who are watching, it almost always matches up with the, how did people feel about it before, <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, so, you know, Biden wins by about seven points among those who, who are asking kind of that horse race narrative question, which again, sh- not shocking at all when you consider that he was already leading by about 7%. Uh, So again, you have to always be careful about, well, which one of these things, I bring that up to Ken, because you were talking about, well, if if this makes the difference, if this is the one that uh, has us go, uh, decides the election. The last thing that I want to say about that, and then I want to kind of pivot from this to another uh, option, and this is something we're going to talk about more, is is this week, we're actually going to have a special midweek show. So Ken did a special midweek show last week. And this upcoming week, we're going to have a special midweek show where Jay and I are going to have a conversation. So, unlike normal, where Ken and I would be doing the midweek show this week, it's going to be Jay and myself, and we're going to be talking and debating about why we support and not support uh, Donald Trump. Uh, Jay taking the positive view, uh, as you might imagine, because he is he's he's voting for Trump, and uh, I'm not because I'm voting for Biden. Uh, And one of the things that kind of at the end of all this happened. Uh, is, my you know, I have a, I have a, two sons and a daughter, uh, and one of my sons, we have worked a lot, he works with a um, a speech, uh, he, he stutters, right? Um, especially when he's gonna, he gets a little excited or agitated, and he's worked really well at that. Uh, and so one of the things that really kind of just grossed me out at the end by the time we got done was, I recognized that, you know, Biden could have, you know, he's an adult, he's an old man, he could handle things better if he wanted to. However, I cannot imagine knowing that that's his background. The way that he gets treated by Trump just kind of disgusts me, and I needed to put that out there as somebody who, I mean, I can't you know, yelling over somebody who's already attempting to talk well. I, I don't know. It just thoughts. I don't. You probably don't have a thought on that, Ray. Ken. But yeah,
1: no. I mean, <laughs> I, yes. Uh, I, yeah, I agree with you.
0: <laughs> so, but on that norm, I want to use that to pivot because the other thing that was noted. Uh, as the election, or excuse me, as the debate was going on, was that the Trump team ignored the Cleveland rules for social distancing, for masks, and ignore, has regularly ignored CDC guidelines. And of course, this morning, uh, Ken, on uh, Friday, we learn that both President Trump and the First Lady are have come down with COVID. And so what do you think, does this mean anything for the election? Uh, Might we draw any lessons about this? What do you think? I'll I'll, I'll just I'll just I'll throw it out there for you.
1: I mean, we're we're pretty early right now into the development of this story, so I don't know if it's affected uh, anything in the election yet. And that may depend on how things progress. But um, uh, it does seem to me that it undermines to some extent Trump's uh, um, narrative that um, covid isn't a, a big deal. Um, that it's you know some some of his followers may even have thought the whole thing was a hoax um, or or some might have you know had the impression that um, it, it's not a hoax but it's not that much worse than ordinary flu now um, you know that, that we don't know how it's going to physically affect trump I mean he may you know some people experience minor cases of it um, if he if he comes through it um, and doesn't um, have a very severe case and you know gets better within a few days or a week and and all that um, I think it'll have almost no impact on the election but um, if it becomes um, a more debilitating case, if it makes him unable to go through with future debates, if it becomes really clearly life threatening, then I think it, it shakes a lot of his central narrative about, um, you know, how people are overblowing this whole thing. And it makes him, you know, look bad that not only couldn't he protect The country from COVID, he couldn't even protect himself from COVID. Um, So I I think that some of that's going to really depend on the um, the progression of his individual uh, medical case. I do note, you know, and this is only the first day of this story, but he he has he has completely vanished today, right? I mean, if it was a truly asymptomatic case you'd think he'd at least still be tweeting or making phone calls or something like that. Now, he did, he did make a, a, a phone interview with Sean Hannity last night around nine, but that was a few hours before he announced that he had COVID. But he's, he seems to have gone into radio silence uh, today. And I don't know exactly what conclusion we can draw from that, but it might at least support an inference that the case is a little bit more serious than, than completely asymptomatic or something like that. So I don't know. What, what do you think about all that?
0: Well, I tell you, the first thing that I thought about when I saw that this morning, woke up and thought, wow, we're going to, have to talk about that on the show. And then the second thought I had was one of the things that we do know, a lot of people have complained. There has been a lot of uh, thinking that, well, look, not that many people are dying from COVID because they're really dying from heart disease or they're really dying from, right, because they have multiple items. And that's really a misunderstanding of the statistics. One of the things to recognize, though, is people who have other conditions are, of course, more likely to suffer worse cases and or to have fatal cases. And it it is you know straightforward and apparent that the president has, like many Americans, is overweight. You know, one of the things I thought about he he actually falls into that more. He's older, just like Biden. Let's be frank, right? Yeah. The, the, these are grandparent age people. Uh, and he is clearly not, you know, he does not have a healthy BMI. Uh, That's not an insult to the president. That's something that's true of of many uh, Americans. It it has been true of myself, right? I'll just be honest. It's something I've had to work on. Um, But that doesn't, those being sympathetic doesn't make that any more of a statistical likelihood that he's going to have more trouble. So, as you note, it's only going to take time to kind of figure out what might be happening with that. But the longer there is kind of silence, um, the more likely it is to say there could be a problem. Uh and that that would strike, I think, particularly difficult times for Pence, you know, if if somebody I, I was kind of wondering like, so what if somebody's on a ventilator? Would he even do we see a moment? I know Democrats brought it up in kind of a weird way, uh, earlier, you know. That the, the the president's in, uh, not competent, but there could be, a, what, if what if you're on a ventilator? What do we do with that? That'd be the first time we've actually ever invoked that clause of the Constitution. So my mind kind of went that direction only because statistically, he, he does meet these other more higher risk factors for complications.
1: Yeah got the comorbidities. Um, the 25th Amendment has been invoked by presidents before. It hasn't been inv- invoked against presidents before. Right, but, exactly. Uh, yeah. So so George George W. Bush, um, twice when he had colonoscopies, um, he uh, invoked the 25th Amendment himself and gave the powers of the presidency to Dick Cheney during those periods of time. But yeah, if, if, if Trump doesn't do that, then the cabinet might have to invoke the 25th Amendment on him if he winds up on a ventilator or something. So that yeah, be,
0: I was thinking about, so you don't realize it's going to happen, right? You know you're going yeah. to Go you in. Know, you're scheduling a procedure. You can plan for that. You can't necessarily plan for I'm okay now, and now eight hours later, I can't communicate in the way that you know, right. It, right. So yeah, right. So that yes, that would be
1: a, that would be a first. Um, yeah, I, I do believe he'll get. You know, Trump is going to get the best possible medical attention um, that anyone could get, and. Uh, you know, he'll, he'll, he'll I think even with all his comorbidities, my, my bet would be he pulls through, but I think the the question will be whether he um, whether this seriously uh, impairs him over the next few weeks and uh, keeps him off the campaign trail, keeps him from doing his duties and, and things like that and and I, th- I think just that'll have probably more of a negative impact on him than it would on on many other people in a similar position because it's so it so directly conflicts with what his narrative about the disease has been yeah.
0: Well, and I, you know, the one last thing, I'm just going to push this because I think it's so important. And that is if the President of the United States in very kind of limited circumstances by not following CDC recommendations can get uh, uh, can get COVID, I think this just highlights for everybody how important, you know, here at OC, we have the love your neighbor uh, policy, which is I'm not wearing a mask for me, I'm wearing it for you. I'm not social distancing because I don't love you. I'm social distancing because I love you. Uh, and I think that we really have to be thinking in those terms right now until we can get to a point of a vaccine. Uh, and I hope that if nothing else happens of this, I really do. I hope that the president does not have you know, a bad case. I don't wish that on anyone. I, I, I don't want to see the 25th amendment evoked for any reason. Um, but I do hope something that we can gain from this is the idea Wow, this has happened. Look what happens when we don't take those love your neighbor policies uh, seriously. Uh, and, and I think that's a really—I've loved it. that's the way we did it here at Oklahoma Christian. And I hope that others can think about it in those terms. Right? It's not an inconvenience for me in the same way. If I'm thinking about I'm loving you by doing this, I think that's a really Christian thing to do. I think it's a really religious thing to do. Anyway, one last thing because we're kind of starting to run out of co- man. Ken, we've we've gone long? So we're going to do like a, maybe a little just a teeny bit of a bonus story because I think this is this is just a weird little case but this week Tucker Carlson was found well in, not in he had a civil lawsuit uh where he was uh, being accused of slander as it regarded uh the, the, the hush money payments where he actually accused a couple of uh porn stars of trying to extort the president of the United States but of course there was no truth to that at all and so they sued Tucker Carlson and what was weird about this Ken and what we were we've been talking about is is that the Fox News' own lawyers, Fox's own lawyers, uh, argued <clears throat> their argument in their briefs was that the general tenor of T- Tucker Carlson's show is such that it informs the viewer that he is not, quote, stating actual facts, end quote, quote. And instead, he is engaging in, quote, non-literal commentary, end quote. I've read the brief. You've read the brief. What do you think? I mean, this kind of blew my mind, and so I was—I'm curious about the lawyer's perspective
1: you know there there is um some some precedent uh for for that kind of a ruling um but um it, it, the precedents are mostly established in um media that is seen as much less reputable than how people might think about uh the fox news so i think that the supreme court had a case uh like this that involved hustler magazine where um uh jerry Falwell, the the Reverend jerry Falwell, see yes, not, not, not versus, versus uh, versus, uh yeah. versus flint um uh where 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 Falwell sued Hustler magazine because they had um, run a, a cartoon of him, depicted him in cartoon form having sex with his mother in an outhouse. Oh, and, wait, uh, and I can
0: help you on that. It was an ad. It was a ad, par- yeah, it yeah. was a parody ad. So at the time, there was a, a brand of vodka that was called. It was the first time ad, and so the the true sets of ads were always celebrities. And it was this double entendre where the celebrity's talking about their first time, but it's very sexual. But of course, the reveal for the ad is always that it was their first time with this particular brand of vodka. In the case of uh, uh, Falwell in the magazine, so it looked just like that. It was formulated like an ad, and it even had the, uh, Campiri, I think was the, Eerie vodka, I believe, is the one it was, yeah, if yeah, I Campari, it.
1: Yeah, Rum. I think it was Rum, but it was Campari. That's right. Campari, <laughs> it was Rum. Okay. Yeah. And so,
0: the uh, yeah, so it's this interview with, it's a quote-unquote interview uh, with Falwell, where he's basically talking about how he's uh, screwing his mom in the outhouse with flies and all this other stuff, yeah. uh, and that uh, you know his mom looks better than a Baptist boar with a $100 bill, uh, where the you know, even the interviewer is kind of getting a little uncomfortable. But yeah, so it wasn't a cartoon. It was that. And at the bottom, it has this little thing that says parody, not to be right. taken seriously. But it's in this teeny print that you actually can't really read. Continue.
1: Yeah. So yeah, you remember the facts quite well. And so uh, uh, fowl Seuss and says well that's defamatory and libelous i was never in in an outhouse with my mother and uh you know if people believe that this is true it will harm my reputation based on this false information that's being propagated and that would be a classic uh defamation claim um but but what what the supreme court holds in the in the flint cases um well but nobody could really take this seriously um Nobody could take this to be true because the source is Hustler magazine. This is it's not a, a credible news outlet. This is not uh, um, uh, this is part of a series of parodies. It's clearly intended as humor. And so since nobody could take it to be true, um, it can't really harm your reputation. Um, it, it, parody doesn't fall within the strict four corners of defamation because the way um, to say
0: that. Okay, can I turn yeah, your lawyer? Yeah, yeah, just, yeah. Parody is protected speech.
1: Is protected speech, yeah. but it's it's but it's protected for the reason that it's not actually defamatory. That is exactly. That it can't it can't yeah. really harm someone's reputation because nobody could take it to be true, and and that's and that's a uh, um, that's the defense that Tucker Carlson raised here. So he's kind of aligning himself with Larry Flint and Hustler Magazine rather rather than <laughs> with um, and- uh, yeah, <laughs> normal news organizations. Um and and yeah his his own so so his own lawyers say well yeah when when I said that um Karen McDougall was um, committing the crime of extortion uh, by um, uh, uh, showing up at the me- White House. Showing up at the White House. Um, you know, I was engaging in rhetorical hyperbole and uh, opinion commentary. That are only intended to frame a political debate and not really meant to be taken literally in any sense. And you know, nobody should believe that what I was saying was literally true. For the same reasons, nobody should believe that um, Hustler magazine's cartoon about Reverend Fowler was literally true. So he didn't—he didn't try to say it was true. He just tried to say nobody believes it is true, and that—and that was the <laughs> successful defense. So he successfully got the defamation suit thrown out on the grounds that he engages in so much rhetorical hyperbole that nobody—nobody nobody really takes him seriously. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, and I, you know we, and to kind of bring this full circle to, to to finish out this show, we have to remember of course that keep in mind Tucker Carlson is one person who I have seen being actually thrown around as a potential nominee have you yeah. have you seen
1: some of that? I just well, thought we were... after you sent me the info, I didn't really I did not know it. <laughs> but I guess it makes sense. We were, we were just talking a few minutes ago about who could keep Trumpism alive. And, uh, you know, he'd be a contender. I mean, if, if the Trumpist movement is the dominant movement within the Republican Party, maybe maybe he is a viable um, candidate. I don't I don't know. Well, we'll have to see. Ken,
0: it has been wonderful doing the show with you this week. Uh, and I guess we'll have to wait for another cycle before we do our midweek show. <laughs> Because this midweek, again, it's going to be myself and Jay as we actually debate, as two Republicans debating, should you vote for Donald Trump or not for re-election? I'll be taking the point of view that you you can't. How can can you have a soul and vote for Donald Trump? That's not exactly what I'm going to argue, but (laughs) it's close. Uh, And and I think Jay's going to argue something to the effect is, how can you still be a Republican and not be on board? with Donald Trump. And so we'll have to see what happens in the end. It could be a cage match. I don't even know. But that's going to be uh, myself and Jay, and that will be our bonus supporters show. So one of the things I want to let you know is, is if you'd like to listen to that show, we need your support. So it, you'll be getting that. How do you get that? Well, you can head over to patreon.com slash politics or you can head to our other page, politicsguys.com and by heading there and by making a donation, you can then join myself and Jay for our special edition show on Wednesday, where the two of us are going to go at it over President Trump. Just, just one thing. That is the whole show. It's going to be exciting. But I want to thank you all for listening to the show. And even if you're not going to be a supporter, even if you want to miss out on Jay and I in some kind of uh, Trump WWE match, I don't know. <laughs> We still want to know that we appreciate you being a listener of the show. And I would love, there's a lot of different free ways you can still help this show move forward. And one of the ways you can do that is subscribing to the Politic Eyes on the podcast app of your choice. Ditto goes for sharing those episodes. It is incredible. The statistics are clear. That word of mouth advertising is one of the absolute best ways to make a show go bigger. And we certainly would appreciate you doing that. If you have a question, comment, correction, or just some random thought you'd like to share with myself or Ken, you can always reach us at mail at politicsguys.com. We also strive for civil and rational debate on our Reddit, which is at bipartisanpolitics. Again, that Reddit is at bipartisanpolitics. I have really enjoyed the tenor of the de- uh, of the debate and the things that happen there. I'd love for you to be there on our Reddit at politi- uh, bipartisanpolitics. And we're also on Twitter at politicsguys. The executive producers of The Politics Guys are Bruce Johnson, Wilmer Morano, Andra Maskell, Daniel Toe, and Chris Wilkerson. Today's show was produced by myself, Trey Orndorff. We'll be back with a new show on Wednesday. I hope you'll join me then.